Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 13, 42 through 52. Uh, last Sunday, we focused on Paul's sermon at the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And this morning, we'll see the response to that sermon. But before we read God's word, let's pray and ask for God's help that we would understand what he says to us. O God, source of all light, by your word you give light to our souls. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in holy scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 13, picking up in verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me. Welcome, everybody. And Daniel, you, you come on over, too. Uh, I, I'm really I'm glad that y'all are here with me today because uh, I, I really want to share this moment with you. I have something for Daniel, and it is so, so good. Yeah, it, it, it's actually, it's one of the more magnificent things in the world, and I want Daniel to enjoy it. And, and if he wants it, it's his, right? All right, so Daniel, this is one of the most, uh, this is one of the best things imaginable. Life without it is dark and rather unthinkable, and it is yours if you want it. All right.
<laughs> it's not tinfoil. There is tinfoil in here. Okay, guys, so let's, let's think about this. I, I mean, I can't really believe that he said no. Uh, can you? I mean, he just rejected something magnificent. I, I can't believe he rejected something so necessary for life. Can you? Well, you're playing along, so, and I appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, that would not actually be the first time that someone has done that, has rejected something amazing. In fact, some people in the story that we just read in the book of Acts did something way worse. Because Paul had shown them Jesus. He had spoken God's word that through Jesus comes the forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus alone comes freedom from darkness. And in him come all the blessings of God's kingdom. But when some people heard God's word and they saw his gift of Jesus to people like us, they said in their hearts, no, I don't want it. And Paul explains to us in what we just read what they'd really done. He says that by rejecting Jesus, they thrust God's word aside and they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. You understand, to them, it might have seemed like a really small thing to say no to Jesus. But Paul is telling them that there are forever consequences, forever consequences for that kind of choice. But not everybody made that choice. There were many people there who saw Jesus to be the gift of God that answers our every need, our every longing. And if you and I, like them, see Jesus and we embrace him, then we can rest knowing that God is giving us eternal life in him. And because our God is glad to give life to anyone who receives Jesus, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to uh, Acts. Morning, we come uh, to the the response uh, to that sermon, and what we will see uh, in the response, as well as Paul's response to the response, is both the the narrowness and the broadness of the gospel. We will see that the the gospel is narrow in that Jesus is the only Savior. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. To to thrust it aside, as Sam was saying to the kids, to, to thrust it aside is to judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. But at the same time, this, this gospel is exceedingly broad because Jesus is the Savior of any and all who call upon him. None 
who look to him for salvation shall be turned away. His gospel is for all, even to the end of the earth. And so let's look at the response, beginning just first with the, the initial response on that day uh, that Paul had preached. We're told that when Paul finished preaching, uh, the people begged that these things might be told to them again the next Sabbath. And, and when we see that kind of response, it, it prompts us to ask, well, what is it that they had heard uh, that provoked their interest? Why are they so eager to hear more? And, and quite simply, what they had heard was gospel. What they had heard was good news. They, they had heard the, the good news that the promised Savior had finally come, that the, that the one who could reconcile them to the one true God was, was here, and that his uh, identity had been revealed and, and validated through his resurrection from the dead. He had been crucified, and yet death had not held him. He had been raised again on the third day, even as the scriptures had promised that, that the Father would not allow his Holy One to see Corruption. And so hearing the, the wonder of this gospel, the, the crowds begged that they might hear more the, the following week. And, and such, a, such an appeal to hear more later can, can be interpreted a couple of ways. Sometimes the, 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 the desire to hear more later can be a delay tactic. You've, you've, you've maybe experienced this yourself. You've maybe done this your, yourself. You're, you're not quite ready to accept whatever it is that, that has been presented to you. And so you're like, well, maybe I'll hear more about that uh, later. That doesn't seem to be what's going on here. Here, uh, it seems to be an honest desire to, to hear more about something that is, that is so profoundly amazing that you can't quite get your mind around it. Uh, the, the crowds seem to be uh, genuinely desirous to, to hear more of this gospel. And in fact, we see that some of them can't even wait till the next Sunday. Some of them crowd around Paul at the very uh, end of the service to, to hear more right away. And again, I think this is a profound reminder to us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a saint joy, joy inexpressible. People may not always be initially persuaded, they may not always immediately believe, but if they have grasped something of what you are saying, if you have, they have grasped the, the substance of the message that you are proclaiming, something in them should want it to be true. Because it is good news. Again, this doesn't mean that there won't be Opposition, especially as you get into the details. We, we see that clearly here as, as the story unfolds. We, we see it throughout the entirety of the New Testament. God's gospel always brings resistance. It always brings opposition. Uh, uh, mentioned the idea that we are the aroma of Christ, and to some that is the aroma of life, to others it is the aroma of death. But the idea that there is a God who made us and who, who loved us enough to, to reconcile us through the gift of his son, uh, Jesus, this is, this is fundamentally good news. Again, people may not believe it. They, they may decide that they don't like the idea that they need saving or that they don't like the idea that they need to follow Jesus. But at the core, uh, the, gospel, the gospel is a celebration of salvation from a peril that we all know we're in. And you see, that's the reality. As you, as you speak to your, your neighbors, as you speak to your, your co-workers, they know firsthand the misery of life in this present age. They may not always understand that it's the result of their sins. As, as Sam was saying, they, they may think the problem is out there. <laughs> but they know the misery of life in this age. They, they know what it is to be afraid in this world. 
They know what it is to be alone. They know what it is to be powerless. They they know what it is to, to feel aimless and to wonder what's the point of it all. And there's something in them that that knows they need this gospel. This is one reason that we have more opportunities to to share the gospel with our neighbors and our co-workers and our our family than we sometimes realize. Even without knowing it, our neighbors, like those who were there that day, are often asking to hear more even when they don't know it. You see, when your neighbors speak to you of their fear, when they speak to you of their anxieties, when they speak to you of, of their powerlessness, when they speak to you of, of their own, we have experienced the same things. And yet we know the one who has rescued Sabbath. As they, as they gathered around Paul uh, to hear, I always want to go up and, and talk to the speaker. I, I want to ask him my questions. I, I want to get his, his perspective. I want to learn more. And, and people often hang around after a conference to, to talk to the speaker face to face. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. here. The, the people in the crowd have gathered around Paul. They, they followed him, asking them their questions, asking uh, to understand more. And if that's correct, if if these are people who are simply wanting to understand more right away, not willing to to wait to the next Sabbath, then it adds significance to what Paul means when when he exhorts them to continue in the grace of God. Do you see that? When these crowds gather around Paul and Barnabas, he, he exhorts them to continue in the grace of God. Now, if these were believers, as some think, This means continue in the grace that you have just received. That is, allow this gospel to transform your life. Walk in the footsteps of of faith. Walk in a manner worthy of this gospel that you have believed. But, if the many are, are eager seekers rather than convinced believers... If these are the devout men and, and, and Jewish people that, that Luke mentions, then, then think about what that means. It means that their Jewish faith was the fruit of God's grace in their life. Judaism was, was not something wrong, but, but rather it was God's gracious revelation of himself to his chosen people. But now, even though they are Jews, and even though they are committed to this Jewish faith, they must now continue in that grace. And there's only one way to do that. There's only one way for them to continue in the grace that was Judaism, and that is to receive and to rest upon Jesus. As we will see in the the next section, to, to reject Jesus is to cut oneself off from grace. Even For the Jews, who who had received the grace of God and and receiving God's word from from the very beginning, and yet if they reject Jesus, they are cutting themselves off from that grace. If they reject Jesus, even though they are Jews, they 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 are judging themselves to be unworthy of eternal life. For it is in Jesus that the grace of God has been revealed. It is in him that that grace has appeared. And this is the point that that Paul continues to emphasize and and drive home after his sermon as he's he's talking to uh, the crowds, as as he's talking one-on-one with those who have have come up to him after uh, the meeting. He He is driving home the point that there is no salvation apart from Christ. If you are going to continue in the grace of God, then you must receive Jesus. This is why the the proclamation of the Christian gospel is so important. It's it's why Paul's missionary journey was worth it. 
because he's taking the, the truth of the Savior, the only Savior, the only hope for, for sinners under God's judgment. He's taking the good news of that Savior to the ends of the earth. Think of what Paul says in Romans 10. How can they call on him if they have not believed? And, and how can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear if, without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? You see, Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus is the only one in whom there is hope of eternal life. You must receive and rest upon him for your salvation. Or you judge yourself to be unworthy of eternal life. This is why the gospel of Jesus must be preached. This is why the gospel of Jesus' death and, and resurrection must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. We see that day after this initial gathering around Paul as he, as he continued to drive this point home that, listen, salvation is in Jesus alone, almost the whole city gathered the next Sabbath to, to hear more about this. Now again, don't, don't get distracted by the phrase almost the whole city. It's a, it's a figure of speech. It's, it's not to be taken literally, but it means that, that a huge number of people had gathered in the synagogue that day to, to hear the word. People from all over the city had come to hear more of this Savior, to, to hear what Luke refers to as the word of the Lord. Now again, throughout the, the New Testament, the Lord is Jesus. And so here is the, the word of the Lord. It is the word from him in that it's being proclaimed by his apostles, those whom, whom he had, had authorized and sent out to, to proclaim his gospel in his name. But it's also a, the, the gospel of Jesus. It's also the, the word of Jesus in that he is the central figure. He is who the story is all about. It is the, the word of the Lord and that the Lord, uh, and, and that the word is from the Lord and it is about the Lord. And, and this is the message that the people are gathering to hear. But, but notice what happens. When the Jews see the crowds, what does Luke say? They are filled with jealousy. And they begin to, to contradict what was spoken by Paul and even revile him for preaching such a message. Now again, we're not told exactly who these Jews were, but, but most commentators assume that these are the, the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leaders, and, and those may be closely aligned with them. But whoever they were, it's clear that they are jealous. So what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean to say that, the, that they were, were provoked to jealousy by these crowds that had gathered? It's possible that they were jealous simply of the, the crowds themselves. After all, we may assume that this synagogue in, in Pisidian Antioch was a, it was a proselytizing synagogue. It was a, a synagogue that, that invited others in. We know this because of the, the devout converts that were present. This is, a, this is a synagogue that sought to make converts. And, and maybe they were jealous that, that Paul had attracted a larger crowd in one week than, than they had been able to, uh, to gather in all their time there in that city. We're, we're not sure. If, certainly if that was the case, they, they wouldn't be the first ministers to be jealous of another minister's success. But the word translated as jealousy here is, is sometimes translated as zealous. To be jealous is to be Zealous, And it might be that they were filled with jealousy. They, they were zealous for their tradition, for, for the Judaism that they had received, the Judaism that they had always practiced. It, it might be that they were concerned to protect the crowds from what they saw as the heterodox innovations of this 
would-be apostle, or this man named Paul. And if that is the case, I, I, I want you to think for a moment how that might provoke at least some measure of sympathy in us. We're usually so hard on these Jews who oppose Paul, but, but I want you just for a moment to, to be sympathetic to their position. After all, aren't we zealous for our tradition? And aren't we actually com commanded to be? Doesn't Jude exhort us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints? If someone were teaching an innovative gospel, wouldn't we seek to contradict them, even as they sought to contradict Paul? Doesn't Paul himself pronounce a curse upon anyone who, who teaches any other gospel than the one he proclaimed? Well, if, well, if Paul can pronounce a, a curse on those who contradict him, why are these Jews wrong to oppose Paul? It's a, it's a fair question. And I would suggest to you that Paul actually knew it to be a fair question. It's, it's why throughout his sermon he, he had gone to such lengths to show that, that Jesus' resurrection demonstrated him to be the long-promised Savior. He didn't, he didn't just pronounce Jesus as the Savior. He showed uh, that God had revealed him to be the Savior by raising him from the dead, even after he had been put to death by the Jewish authorities. That was the heart of his sermon, as we saw last Sunday. And that is, of course, our answer. What's the difference? What's the difference uh, between these Jews uh, clinging to their faith and the command that we have to contend for our faith? What's the difference? The difference, quite simply, is Jesus. And specifically, it is Jesus risen from the dead. And we need to understand this. You see, we, we live in a day where people are like, okay, yeah, you can kind of hold on to your faith, but, but let everybody else do the same. Let everybody else hold on to their faith because all faiths are, are equal. That simply is not the truth. You see, clinging to the Judaism of the Old Testament, clinging to that faith revealed to them by God, that, that faith which Paul had, had referred to as the grace of God, clinging to that faith was not a life-giving option. Why? Because the entire Old Testament pointed forward to someone not yet revealed. The entire Old Testament pointed forward to a coming Savior. It's why Peter can say in his first letter that the, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit in them was indicating when they spoke. The, the prophets knew that their prophecies pointed forward. Everyone who read the Old Testament knew that there was a coming Savior, that there would be one day a Messiah. It's why we, we see people celebrating the, the consolation of Israel finally come when Jesus Jesus is born. Everyone knew that the Old Testament pointed forward. And now Paul is here proclaiming together with Peter and all of the apostles and all of the New Testament that Jesus is the one to whom the Old Testament points. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. All of God's promises are yes and amen in him. And that's the difference. Because he is the fulfillment, because he is the substance of what was promised, there is no further development. He is God's final word. God had spoken in the past through the prophets. But now, 
He has spoken finally and fully in the person of his Son. The Old Testament needed to be fulfilled. Jesus is that fulfillment. He is God's final and perfect world. And that is why Paul can pronounce a curse on anyone who preaches any other gospel. That is why Paul can say that those who who oppose this gospel cut themselves off from God's grace and from eternal life without being inconsistent. You see, Judaism was never meant to stand on its own. It was always provisional. It was always pointing forward. But the gospel of Jesus, the word of the Lord, is different. It is final. It is God's consummated word. And that is why Paul could both demand that the Jews receive his seeming innovation and also demand that no new innovations be received after him. Because his preaching wasn't really innovation at all. It wasn't innovation. It was the revelation of completion. Any new revelation would, would, have, to, would have to be innovation because we have in Christ God's final Word. Again, this is why it is so necessary that this gospel be proclaimed. Here we, we see people who, who hold to Judaism, who, who claim to be rooted in, in Abraham and yet reject Christ, clinging to what came before. We heard this morning about those who are, who are going to, to serve those who, who hold to, to Islam, who, who reject Christ, not because they cling to what came before, but because they grasp for something new after. Both claim to have their roots in Abraham. Both claim to have their roots in the, the, God, the grace of God. But both reject Christ and therefore, hear this, therefore neither can offer salvation. The world hates this. The world hates the, the exclusiveness of the Christian gospel. They, they hate the idea that we would say, that, say that, that neither Judaism nor Islam can save because neither proclaims Christ as he is. But we must not believe the lie that it is hate to preach this gospel. We must not believe the lie that, that it's better to, to let everyone sort of believe their own thing and go their own way. It is not hate to preach the name of the only Savior given under heaven by which men must be saved. This gospel is exclusive. It's exclusive because there is only one Jesus. Because there's only one Son of God come in human flesh who died in our place and rose again for our justification. This gospel is exclusive because Jesus is the only Lord. And calling people to receive and rest upon him is the very apex of love. It is inviting them to receive God's gift of eternal life. That's, that's why Paul says here, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. It was, it was necessary because God is a God of love. It was necessary because God in his love would not withhold from his chosen people the word of the Lord, the, the word of the fulfillment of all that he had promised. It was necessary because God was going to set this feast before his people. But notice, Notice what Luke says next. In thrusting it aside, Paul says, they judge themselves to be unworthy of eternal life. Again, that, that echoes everything we've been saying up to this point. It's the, it's the whole point of this, this section of, of the word. Those who thrust aside or reject the word of the Lord, those who, who reject the good news of Jesus Christ, 
They judge themselves to be unworthy of eternal life. Now again, we may stumble over the language of worthiness here. We, we don't like that language. We, we like the language of, of grace. But, but understand, it simply means that they would not receive Christ. The one who receives and rests upon Jesus for salvation, that is the one who is worthy. It doesn't mean that they have earned this life in any, in any technical sense. It simply means that they have done what God required. Think of what, what Jesus says when he's asked, what must we do to be doing the works of the Lord? He says, well, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. It is the one who, who rejects Jesus in unbelief who is unworthy. And it is the one who receives and rests upon him who is worthy simply because he has done what God required. And again, that is the point. Eternal life is found in Jesus and nowhere else. If you reject Jesus, there is no hope of life. If you reject Jesus, you remain in your sins. You remain under God's condemnation. You remain without hope and separated from God in this world. If you reject Jesus, you can but only perish in your sins. This is the gospel that Paul was proclaiming. Proclaiming it not to condemn, but to invite them into life. And this is the gospel that Paul says, when you have rejected it, we will turn now and proclaim it even to the ends of the earth. He says, since you thrust it aside, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now again, it's, it's important that we not misunderstand what, what Paul is saying here. The, the gospel would have gone to the Gentiles even if the Jews had received it with joy. He, he's not saying that, that only because you've rejected it, now we're going to turn to the Jews or to the Gentiles as if, as if the Gentiles were God's plan B. On, on the contrary, as we've seen again and again throughout our study of Acts, God's plan from the very beginning was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God's plan was from the very beginning was to bless Abraham that he might be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so when Paul says, since you thrust it aside, we are now turning, he, he's speaking of his own ministry. He is saying, we preach to you first, you've rejected us, now we're going to go on and preach to the Gentiles. We know this because in the next town he's going to do it again. He's going to go to the synagogue first, and then uh, he will turn to the Gentiles. And he will do it again and again and again throughout his ministry. Paul does not mean that God is done with the Jews. The salvation of, of Christ is still for them if they will believe, and it is also for the Gentiles. That's why he, he shakes his dust off his, off his feet later in the passage as he's, as he's leaving Pisidian Antioch. It's a symbolic action that proclaims, listen, your blood is on your own heads. I've, I've done everything I could do. I've proclaimed to you the good news. We are not rejecting you. You are rejecting us. We are not condemning you. You are condemning yourselves. You are judging yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life. That's why he turns to the Gentiles after being rejected by the Jews. Not to, not to show that, that God is done with the Jews forever. Not to show that the, the Gentiles were God's second choice, but to show that the gospel is for everyone. It's for anyone who believes. As I said, the, the gospel of God in Christ is narrow in that salvation can be found nowhere else. But understand this, it is exceedingly broad in that it is for any and all who will believe, Jew and Gentile alike, if you will receive and rest upon him alone for your salvation. You will be saved. The one who calls him Lord 
will never be put to shame. This is why the, the Gentiles began rejoicing and, and glorifying the Lord when they, when they heard of this gospel of forgiveness and justification. It was for them. I wonder if you've ever known that joy. Have you ever known that the joy of, of realizing for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time that all of God's promises are for you? Everything promised, everything promised is for you. And it's available to you simply through faith in Jesus Christ. If you will receive and rest upon him, all that God has promised, all of God's kingdom, all of God's righteousness, all of, all of God's eternal bliss in the, in the coming kingdom, all of that is yours through Jesus Christ. I know many of you have known that joy and, and continue to, to, to sort of be reborn into that joy every time you hear this gospel preached. But some of you may never have felt it. Some of you have only ever heard the gospel as obligation and duty. What you must do or else God's going to get you. Well, that's where you find yourself this morning. If you've never heard the glory of this gospel, I ask that God would, would open your ears to hear, that he would open your eyes to see the goodness of this good news. The God who is there, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, he so loved you, that he gave his son, that you might be forgiven and justified and made an heir of his kingdom. Yes, this is an exclusive gospel, but it is a broad gospel. It is for any and all who will believe. I wonder if I told you that there was a, a billionaire who was giving away a million dollars to anyone who asked. I wonder if you would complain that there was only one such billionaire or if you would be rejoicing to know his name. Well, how much greater, how much greater is the grace of Jesus? He offers us not the perishing wealth of this age. He offers us life eternal in the age to come. That's the wonder of this gospel. Yes, it is a narrow gospel because Jesus is the only Savior. But it is exceedingly broad because it is for any and all who will receive it. That brings us then to our final point. I don't have much time, but just, just look again here at what we're told. We're told that when the, the Gentiles heard this gospel, they, they received it with joy. And, and as, many as, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And I'm just going to set that side, phrase aside because we're going to spend all next Sunday on it. So uh, just we'll, we'll come back to verse 48 next Sunday. But for now... Simply notice that the, the Gentiles heard and believed this gospel with great joy. And through them, the, the gospel spread throughout the whole region. Now, now again, this is the third stage. We, we saw the initial response that Sunday, we, or that Sabbath. We, we saw the, 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 the response the following Sabbath, and now we, we see the response after that. The gospel spreads throughout the whole region. And in this, we, we see Jesus' faithfulness to his promise. He, he promised that he would build his church, and that's exactly what we see him doing. As the word goes out, it goes with his power that those who, who are appointed to life receive it and believe and are born again. You see, God's word accomplishes God's purposes because it's God's word and goes forth with God's 
power. It's why the prophet tells us that his word will never return to him void. And it's why the proclamation of this gospel to the ends of the earth, while it seems like a foolish and weak strategy, is actually the only strategy that gives hope in this present evil age. See, we, we can be creative, we, we, can, we can be strategic, there's nothing we can do to convert sinners. Even though this gospel is essentially good news, there, there were so many there that rejected it, that, that hated it. And, and that is the curse of sin, that we are blind, that we are haters of what is good. But God's power gives sight to the blind. God's power softens hard hearts. God's Power gives ears to those who are deaf that they might hear the wonder of this good news. And it's what we see here. It does not mean that, that all who hear will believe. But notice, instead of rejoicing, but notice that, 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 that this means that those who are appointed to life will believe. God's gospel will accomplish God's purposes. And so we must be willing to proclaim this gospel in our own community we must be willing to support those who carry it even to the ends of the earth or even go ourselves. Because this gospel is the hope of the world. This gospel, this, this narrow gospel that the world hates, it is the broad gospel of God's grace. God's offer of eternal life to any and all who will receive. Therefore, let us commit ourselves proclaiming this gospel, both here in our own community, to one another as we speak the truth in love into one another's lives, and even to the ends of the earth, so that all might hear, and hearing might believe. Because when they believe, they will have eternal life. Because Jesus is the Savior of any and all who will receive him. And because he is such a Savior, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you now, humbly acknowledging that it is your grace and your grace alone that has set us free from our sins, that has set us free from, from the blindness of unbelief, and that has brought us into your light. Father God, we pray now that you would do a, a, a miraculous work of, of taking this gospel even to the ends of the earth. Father, give us the grace to proclaim it to our neighbors, to our loved ones. Give us the, the grace to, to proclaim it as, as we have opportunity. And according to your promise, Father, go with your word and make it effective, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.